Let's open our Bibles this morning to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, where Paul read a little earlier for us. I've entitled the morning's message, The New Covenant. And as we look at chapter 3, I want to take a little bit of time and um, talk about the church in Corinth Uh, Because Paul is dealing with a church in Corinth that is full of baby Christians. Uh, He's having to deal with uh, sexual misconduct in the church. Everybody knows about it, and nobody says anything about it. Paul addresses it and rebukes them. I'll get into that just a little bit. Um they had to be instructed in the misuse of spiritual gifts, especially the gift of tongues. First Corinthians 14, the whole chapter, is Paul correcting them because it was so out of order. The last verse of First Corinthians 14 says that the Lord does all things decently and in order, and they were everything but that. Um, so I'm going to take a little bit of time and talk about the baby Christian, and um, I want you to turn with me to a couple of places and uh, understand, I'll, I'll throw this, these terms out a couple different times, one term is justification, and um, we'll be singing about that this morning. Uh, justification is when you're born again and you've been justified. And the Lord looks at you as if you're white as snow, and you're perfect in his eyes. Now, sanctification is the process. In other words, you start as a baby Christian on milk, and as you grow in the Lord, the Bible says, we'll close with this verse, that we are being changed into the image of his glory. So we start out as baby Christians on milk. We go through this process. This process is called sanctification. It's an ongoing change, changing that God does in your life. So with that being said, um, let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. I'll just read one verse there. Because this is how Paul has to deal with them. 1 Peter 2, verse 1 says, Therefore, laying aside all malice, all guile, hypocrisy, envy, and evil speaking, as newborn babes, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby, but this is conditional, if you have indeed tasted that the Lord is gracious. I'll bring up men's prayer a couple times today, but one of the... uh, uh, guys was sharing um, about somebody was reading the Bible they weren't quite getting it and one brother just piped up and quoted the verse that says you can't the natural man if you're not born again you're not going to get it you have to be born again in order to understand what the Bible has to say good place for an amen okay so that's what this means here if you've tasted that the Lord is good and now that you have then you are to desire milk. Well, whenever a baby's born, what's the first thing that happens? They put it in 
mama's arms and the baby begins to suckle and, and uh, it gets milk. And it grows from that into baby food and then T-bone steaks later on. <laughs> so here, Paul has to deal with them. And this can really be um, trying because there are different kinds of baby Christians. Um, the Bible says that there are those who have zeal. In other words, they're really on fire for the Lord, but they don't have any knowledge at all. And they can do more damage than we, they can good. Another thing that came up in men's prayers, um, a guy was sharing that um, uh, he, he prayed for somebody to work with him, uh, but the guy was so zealous, he was turning everybody off instead of warming warming him up, and he wasn't being tactful at all. And I made mention, I said, would you give this guy a scripture? This guy that's all fired up and <laughs> turning everybody off. And I said, the scripture is from Paul, and Paul said that he became all things to all men so that he could win some. And I call that being tactful. In other words, know who you're talking to. Try to find common grounds. I was witnessing to somebody this week and I was asking them questions. First of all, I wanted to see where this person was at. Found out he was a musician for 40 years. So the first thing we did for the first 10 minutes is we talked music. I asked, do you know about this band? You ever hear about Buffalo Springfield? I I wanted to work Richie into the conversation because he became a Calvary Chapel pastor. Well, the walls were coming down and I was finding common ground. And um, he's one of the persons that we prayed for this morning. So um, use tact, but baby Christians sometimes don't. I certainly didn't. I turned my dad off so bad. (laughs) And he didn't want nothing to do with me after I got saved. Because all this zeal, but no tact. Now, turn to Hebrews chapter 6. Here are older Christians, but they haven't matured. So Paul is writing to the Hebrews, and um, he tells us in chapter 5, verse 12, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need somebody to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who practices only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he's a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. I don't believe there should be a break here because we have a therefore. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ. Uh, when, you, when you're in kindergarten, you learn your ABCs. You gotta learn those before you can read. Well, the elementary principles of Christ, that's where these old Christians were still talking about. Not laying, um, again, the foundation of repentance from dead works. Well, when you get saved, we call it making a turn and going in the other direction. And now the next one, there's six things here, and faith towards God. You leave the old life, and by faith you turn to Christ to live this new life. 
then of the doctrine of baptism. Well, this, this is an important issue. Uh, another person I was witnessing to, uh, um, um, the background that I came out of, of um, uh, Protestant Lutheranism, is that they equate infant baptism with salvation. So if I know I'm talking to a Protestant who isn't born again, we have to get that squared away right away. And um, I'll tell them, I just want to let you know that nowhere in the Bible will you read of a baby being baptized. Jesus was dedicated. But only, it's always believe first and be baptized. That's what they asked Paul or Peter at Pentecost. What must we do to be saved? Well, believe first and then be baptized. We'll be coming back to that a little bit. It goes on, and the laying on of hands. Well, this is a reference to the second baptism that I call the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And there's several examples. Philip was in Samaria preaching the gospel. People were getting saved. The town sorcerer even got saved. And uh, it says they were baptized, but the Holy Spirit hadn't fallen on any of them yet. So they sit down to Jerusalem and they get John to come up with Peter. They lay their hands on them and they get baptized in the Holy Spirit. There are two baptisms. There's a baptism of water and there's a baptism of the Holy Spirit and it's mentioned several times in scripture. Um, In the case in Acts when uh, Cornelius uh, got saved, um, he was just having the gospel presented to his family and friends, Cornelius, and in the middle of the Bible study, the Holy Spirit <laughs> falls on them and they all start speaking in tongues, interrupted the Bible study. And then um, Paul says to them, can anybody not forbid them from now being baptized in water? So the idea here is you can't put the Lord in a box. You can baptize you in the Holy Spirit first and then you get baptized in water or you can get baptized in water and then you can get baptized in the Holy Spirit. So the scripture clearly lays both of those out. So that's verse two. The doctrine of baptism and the laying on of hands would be a reference to Peter and John. The resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. This is one of those studies that I have too many notes warning ahead of time because I wanted to get sidetracked and just talk about eternal judgment. And, um, but just know there'll be a judgment for the living. That's a judgment seat of Christ. And the great white throne judgment, which is a judgment of those who died without Christ. So with that being said, I just want to make a simple point. Let's go back to Second um, Corinthians chapter two. I'm making the point that they are a very young baby church and um, they need to be fed milk. They need to learn the elementary principles. Um, And then Paul had to rebuke them in order to correct them. Now think this through. What were the Corinthians uh, known for? Luxurious lifestyle, large population, 700,000 people, 
two-thirds of which were slaves. And um, um, in order to correct them, Paul had to um, rebuke them. And if I'm a Corinthian coming out of the Greek culture, the Hellenistic culture, Paul had to speak to them of his authority as an apostle. If you look at chapter two, verse nine, we read, for to this end I also wrote that I might put you to the test whether you are obedient in all things. Now, if I'm a Corinthian, I'm thinking, who in the world do you think you are? (laughs) I got slaves that take care of my business, and I do what I want when I want. That, in my opinion, would have been the attitude of the Corinthians. Now, here's Paul, and he he has to explain to them and minister to them that he's an apostle, and as such, he has authority. And then he actually tells them this. I want to see if you're going to follow through with what I said uh, to see if you're obedient in all things. Well, they weren't used to that kind of language. They were used to doing what they wanted to when you want to. Um, I'll be honest, I, I understood the gospel, but I didn't want to give in because I still wanted to do my own thing. And I know these crazy Christians quit doing all this stuff. And, and um, I thought, well, I'll never travel again. I love traveling. Um, <laughs> the Lord's got a great sense of humor because he's let me travel around the world so many times since I got saved. Um, I think he got a good laugh out of that one <laughs> when I said, well, no more traveling for you, Dwight. <laughs> so Paul had to rebuke them. Um, number three, a thing we'll look at this morning, he has to give the history of the Old Testament law or the Old Covenant. Now, I've titled this this morning, The New Covenant. But he has to explain if it's a new one, there therefore had to be an old one. So a good part of our message this morning is um, how the history of the law or the Old Covenant and how and why it was replaced with the new covenant. And then finally, God's overall plan for Israel and how it plays into the tribulation and the Ezekiel 38 and 39 war and current events that are pointing to this war unfolding, and I believe unfolding rather quickly, even as I speak. So those pretty much were we're headed this morning. Um, I'm pretty much going to let go. I think you got the idea that Paul is dealing with baby Christians and they're, they're learning how to walk the Christian walk. So let's go to our text, chapter 3, verse 6. Paul was right. We need to read five, four or five first, so let's start with five. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our Sufficiency is from God, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Paul begins to explain to them that there was an Old Testament covenant that was established, and he refers to it here as the letter that kills. I'm going to have you turn with me to the book of Exodus, 
chapter 32. It's Genesis, then Exodus. We're going to go to chapter 32, and I'm going to just do a summary of um, what's happening here. In chapter 32, Moses is on Mount Sinai. Um, The Lord gives him the, the commandments. Ten of them are written on stone, and that's what Paul's referring to. And um, while he's gone, he was there for 40 days and 40 nights, um, we read in verse six uh, that uh, they made a a golden image. Uh, They tore off the gold. And um, we read in verse six that as Moses is coming down that they rose early the next day offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings and the people sat down to eat, to drink, and to play. So uh, that was what they were doing while Moses was coming down. And let's jump over to verses 19 to 29. We'll actually read this. So it was as soon as they came near the camp, he saw the calf. They had made a golden calf. And the dancing So Moses' anger became hot and he cast the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. And um, you've all seen Charlton Heston do this. He takes it and throws it up and throws it down and it breaks. And then he took the calf which they had made, burned it in fire, ground it into powder, scattered it in the water and made the children of Israel drink it. And Moses said to Aaron, what did this people do to you that you have brought so great a sin upon them? And Aaron said, do not let the anger of my Lord become hot. You know the people that they are set on evil. For they said to me, make us God that that will go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what's become of him. And I said to them, whoever has any gold, let him break it off. So they gave it to me and cast it into the fire. This to me is one of the most hilarious verses in the Bible. I took this bunch of gold and I threw it in the fire and it says, and this calf came out. (laughs) Talk about trying to get himself off the hook. Now when Moses saw that the people had, were unrestrained for Aaron had not restrained them, to their shame among their enemies. Then Moses stood in the entrance of the camp and said, whoever's on the Lord's side, let him come to me. And the sons of Levi gathered together to him and he said, thus says the Lord God of Israel, let every man put a sword on his side, go in the camp and the entrance throughout the camp and let every man kill his brother, every man his companion, every man his neighbor. And so the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses And about 3,000 men of the people fell that day. Let's go back in our minds to 2 Corinthians 3. And what does it say? The letter or the law, what does it do? It kills. Now we have an Old Testament picture of a New Testament teaching. Paul says the New Covenant, well, first we've got to talk about the Old Covenant. So that's what's happening right, right here. 
Um, and what's interesting to me about this, where it says uh, the letter or the law kills, and about 3,000 were killed, but it says, but the spirit, when you're born again, gives life. Now, the church started at Pentecost. We'll talk about this in a little bit. And the first time that um, Peter got up, now filled with the Holy Spirit, preaches the gospel, their hearts are cut. And then he said, what do we need to do? And he says, repent, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you'll be saved. And then it says, and that day, about 3,000 people were baptized. Now, do you think it's just a coincidence that 3,000 were killed under the law and 3,000 were baptized the first time the church began? No, no coincidence. We're meant to go, my, isn't that interesting? What a coincidence. No, the deeper you go, the deeper it gets. And that's um, what happens if, if you take your time and just really get serious with the Lord over year after year after year after year, the Lord will continually show you things you've never seen before. I, taught, I, I said that to the guys in men's prayer yesterday. I was reading something and I said, you know, I've never seen that before. First time that I've come across this. All right, now let's turn to chapter, the tablets are broken. So let's look at Exodus chapter 34 and uh, verse one and two. And the Lord said to Moses, cut out two tablets of stones like the first one. And I will write on these tablets the words that were on the first tablet, which you broke. So be ready in the morning and come up to the mountain of Sinai and present, excuse me, your sons, yourself to me there on top of the mountain. Um, skip over to the verse 10. He has a new set of the commandments. And here is the old covenant in verse 10. And behold, he said, behold, I make a covenant. Before all your people, I will do marvels such as have not been done in any nation and all the people among you whom you shall see the work of the Lord, for it is an awesome thing that I will do for you. Let me stop and interject something here. There were 10 mighty miracles The last one was the killing of the firstborn of Egypt. And um, God's hand was obvious. It could be seen. And everybody knew that it was God who is God. Remember your brother? He said, Moses is God, is God. (laughs) And what we have um, with this is this new covenant. But what... I believe is going to happen next will be the first time since the miracles that happened in Egypt after being there for over 400 years, God has not displayed his power in such an outward manner. But I believe he's about to. I believe he's about to. And the whole world is going to see it and this is where we're going to get into current events, and for the first time since this time, when they're delivered out, the whole world is gonna see God directly involved with a war that no men are involved with, only God, protecting 
Israel. And I believe that's about to happen. So, however, back to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And we're looking now at verses 7 through 13. Verse that I meant to read that I won't read is that when Moses came down off the mountain, they had to put a veil over Moses' face because his face was glowing and the people were afraid. Is everybody with me on that so we don't have to go back? The people were afraid because Moses was glowing. (laughs) And so they put this covering over him. But remember, we're in transition from an old covenant to a new covenant. So we read in verse seven, again, um, verse six, the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. But if the ministry of death written and engraved on stone was glorious and that children of Israel could not look steadfastly at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, notice which glory was passing away. And let's read it again in verse 13. Unlike Moses who put a veil over his face to the children of Israel could not look steadfastly at the end of what was passing away. And what's being implied here is the law that was established and the glory that was on Moses eventually is just gonna pass away into something completely different. That's what the writer has um, in mind here. Having said that about the law, um, the law did serve a purpose. I would like you to turn with me to the book of Galatians, chapter three, Galatians chapter three, picking it up in verse 19, tells us what purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. Now a mediator does not mediate for one only, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. Now, the Bible tells us that the law is perfect, converting the soul. Everything that was written in the law was good and right. The problem is nobody could do it except one person. Jesus said, don't think I've come to destroy the law. I have not. I've come to fulfill it. Well, what do you mean? It means that all the things that you and I fail at, stealing, lying, lusting, um, and the list goes on. We've broken all of them. Good place for an amen, even though you don't want it. (laughs) I'm a sinner, amen. And I've broken all the laws, except for one man who didn't. And that's why Jesus is the only way. That's why there's no other name under heaven whereby you must be saved. If there is another way under heaven, then there's another man who lived the righteous life who died for your sins. But that's not in the scriptures and it's not what it teaches. It teaches only one way. I am the way, the truth, and the life, period. So we, we go on. For if there had been a law given to us which had given life, no, it brought death, Truly, righteousness would have been by the law. 
But the scripture has confirmed all under sin that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now here we go. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterwards be revealed. Therefore, now we have the therefore. Why do we have the law? The law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we no longer need a tutor. For you are sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So now there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither uh, slave or free. There's neither male or female. You're all one in Christ Jesus. We're one body with many different parts. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So again, the heir of replacement theology is God is all done with Israel. They rejected Jesus. So all the promises that God gave, the church now inherits. And that is false doctrine. Second Corinthians um, Three back there again tells us basically two things. The law kills, but the spirit gives life. And again, 3,000 died when the law was given. 3,000 were saved on a day of Pentecost. Now, a new covenant will be given. Turn with me, please, to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 22. Luke chapter 22, and uh, we're looking here at the Lord's Supper being instituted. So this would be before the Lord is taken to Pilate. And in chapter 22, in verse 19 and 20, it says, He, the Lord, took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. Well, we'll be doing this next Sunday. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. Well, how are we saved? We're saved by the blood of the Lamb. No longer the law, but the finished work of Christ on the cross. This is the new covenant. And I can believe, I can be baptized, I can exercise my free will. Apart from that, it's all faith and God's grace. And I know that that's true. And this is where the scripture comes in. You'll know the truth. Truth of what? Set you free. My friends, this is the only thing that will set a person free. You can try, buy, fly, (laughs) fill in the blank. It'll never make you happy. It'll never fulfill you. It'll never set you free. But if you know that you have eternal life, apart from anything that you can do, good works. I was listening to a program on Mormons yesterday, and um, um, I forgot how really screwed up the Mormons are (laughs) in their doctrine. Uh, they actually believed that God was once a man. And um, 
Um, he had his own planet and had kids and uh, then if you're a Mormon, you're going to be a god someday. And I mean, it's really weird. And it's, a lot of it is based on um, what they're known for. But I used to ski out there all the time and I knew we had friends out there in Salt Lake City. And you could just get a little bit out of town. What are Mormons basically known for? Um, you know, besides Donny Osmond and Marie Osmond. <laughs> uh, for their quality of their family and their lifestyle. That's what they're, they're known for. Well, ex- unless you live there. <laughs> and you just get a couple miles out of Salt Lake C- City, a place named Heber. And um, um, polygamy is rampant. And um, the, when you talk to people in town, it was a Calvary Chapel that was in town, he says their family lives are so screwed up. Of course, if you don't have Christ and the Holy Spirit um, giving you checks and balances and correcting you when you're wrong and, and you're, you're gonna try to do this on your, on your own? No. So the new covenant is based on the finished work of Jesus Christ and the cross. So the question now asks, comes up, well, so is God through with Israel and the Jewish people, seeing that the old covenant is gone and now we have the new one? Now I'd like to do a little sidetrack here on the history and time frame uh, from God dealing with Israel. Um, I'm not gonna go all the way back to Moses, which was somewhere around uh, 1500 um, BC, but I'm gonna go to the book of Daniel just for a a time frame. For some of you, this will be well-traveled ground. For some people, you'll be hearing it for the first time. So turn with me to uh, Daniel, chapter nine. One of the questions that came up um, yesterday in men's prayer, somebody actually were in Jeremiah. And the question that came up was, when Daniel wrote this, how does it tie into Jeremiah, before, during, or after? It was sort of the question that was asked. And I said, well, if you read Daniel chapter nine, verse one, it tells you. Verse one tells you, in the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus of the lineage of the Medes, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord given through Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in desolation of Jerusalem. That's what everything we read about in men's prayer was about Jeremiah having to give this message. You know what happened to him when he gave the message? They put him in chains and says, you're gonna die. They didn't want to hear that. They said, God's not gonna judge us. He's not gonna destroy this beautiful temple. And then we have a whole chapter that we read yesterday about the false prophets, telling the people exactly what they wanted to hear. You guys don't need to worry about a thing. You're not going to Babylon. You think God's gonna allow his temple to be destroyed? And then Jeremiah spoke up again, got himself in trouble again, and he said, if you capitulate and give in to King Nebuchadnezzar, who he called his servant, he says, you'll live. If you listen to the false prophets and you stay in Jerusalem, you die. Daniel was 17 years old when he left. And as 70 years has come, 
and the seven years has gone by. As you look at Daniel chapter nine, Daniel is beginning a prayer, verses three through 19, is simply a prayer of repentance. He said, Lord, time's up. Jeremiah said 70 years. I've been here the full 70, been keeping track. Time to go home. And so he's making confession in this prayer. And in the middle of his prayer, verse 20, it says, while I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin, the sins of my people, Israel, and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God of the holy mountain of my God. Yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, angel Gabriel, who I had seen in a vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening sacrifice, and he informed me. And he talked with me and said, Oh, Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill to understand. Now, what did Daniel want to know? When do we get to go home? <laughs> and that's why he's praying. Time's up, seven years is over. Gabriel says, at the beginning of your supplication, the command went out, and I have come to tell you because you're greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. Now, all he wants to know is when we're going home. But the Lord is gonna give him a whole lot more, which I consider to be the most profound uh, Bible prophecy in the scriptures. The first thing I want to point out, it says 70 weeks or 70 years times seven is 490 years are determined for your people and your holy city. I'm going to read that again. Who is this for? For your people, Israel, and your holy city, Jerusalem. And he's going to accomplish six things in this 490 year period of time. Remember, I wanted to just grab something that's gonna give us a time frame so he can explain this to the Corinthians. So we read, first of all, to finish a transgression, to make an end of sin, to make reconciliation for iniquity, that would be Jesus on the cross, to bring in everlasting righteousness, that would be um, uh, the millennial kingdom and heaven and further on, to seal a vision and prophecy and to anoint the most high. All Bible prophecy is gonna be fulfilled in this 490 year period of time. And then he starts to give us specifics. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be the seven weeks and 62 weeks the street shall be built again and the wall even in troublesome times. All right, he's saying um, when there's this command that goes forth that you can go back to Jerusalem, when that's given, start counting. Now, I'm not gonna have you turn to Nehemiah. Ahasuerus is king in the capital of Sushan. And um, Nehemiah is the cupbearer. Now, taste the taste drink see if it's poisoned or not. And the, uh, the rule was you always had to be happy. You couldn't come into the presence of the king sad. Well, Nehemiah just had gotten this news from Jerusalem that 50,000 actually went back. Now, there were many more than 50,000, but I like to say they got Babylonized. <laughs> in other words, they liked living in Babylon. 
And what was left in Jerusalem? Nothing but ruins. And um, Nehemiah gets this report and he reads that nobody's doing any work, they're not building on the temple, and he's blue. And now he's got to go on before the king. He comes in and he's all bummed out and king's reading his body language. He goes, what's wrong with you? Are you sick? No, I just got news. What news? Um, they went back to Babylon, uh, went back to Jerusalem, but everybody is despondent. They're in despair. Nothing's getting done. King says, what do you want? He says, what do I want? Um, he thought about it quickly. He says he's had one of those quick prayers. <laughs> Lord, help me quick. What do I want? Okay, I want, um, I want a command from you, the king. I want it written down. I want uh, building materials from the cedars of Lebanon. I want a special pass. That's a green pass that'll get me through wherever I want to go. <laughs> that was supposed to be a joke, by the way. <laughs> anyway, um, he said, the king said, well, when are you going to be back? He says, I'll come back, but let me go there first. So it was during this time we have where we read here when the command to um, rebuild goes forth. Well, that was given during Nehemiah's time. We have a starting point. If we got 490 years, you got to begin somewhere. And if you read, if you want to do your own homework on this, just write down Nehemiah chapter 1 and chapter 2. To restore and rebuild Jerusalem, notice this, until Messiah the prince, there shall be uh, seven weeks and 62 weeks. In other words, 69 of the 70 weeks, which is 483 years, or 173,880 days, um, calculated on a 360-day calendar year. So it's actually saying that after 483 years from this time that the Messiah's going to come. And then it says after that, verse 26, and after the 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off. And the word there is... um, I believe it's karat, which means to be executed. But notice what it says, but not for himself. The Messiah is going to be executed, but not for himself. Who was he executed for? You and I. Gang, we're reading this from Daniel. He's talking about the Messiah being executed, but not for himself. And the people of the prince who shall come Um, this is a reference to Rome, future tense, shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. That's exactly what happened in 70 AD when the 10th Roman legion came down and destroyed Jerusalem and they've been scattered all over the world ever since that time until this generation. It's been 73 years they've been back in the land. So this prophecy here was fulfilled. To the end shall be a flood, and till the end wars and desolations are determined. I'm going to stop here, but we're going to come back and just hold your figure here. And what I'd like to do is what happened after that period of time 
Well, we can get to the book of Malachi. That's the last Old Testament book. And then we have what we call the 400 silent years. And this is where um, um, Epiphanes comes in. There, we have a war that takes place. The Maccabean War takes place during this time. It's not in the scriptures. But then we have John the Baptist coming on the scene. John the Baptist was the last of the Old Testament prophets. So the church age had a beginning, and as we get into the New Testament, um, they had rejected their Messiah. If you're taking notes, Gospel of John, chapter one, verse 17, he came, or verse 11, he came into his own, and his own received him not. And the Lord says, you're not gonna see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So the clock stopped. But the clock is for 490 years that God promised to work with them, not 483. Is everybody with me? So the clock stops, and we have this intern period of what we call the church age. It began at Pentecost, um, it has a beginning point. If you'll turn with me to the book of Romans chapter 11, I'll show you the closing point where the church age ends. So we're looking at Romans chapter 11 right here. This is a very important verse to understand God's dealing with his people Israel. Um, Romans 11 verse 25 through 27 So the church began at Pentecost. Paul says in verse 25, for I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinions, that hardening in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. In other words, the Lord himself is the one, if you go back to Chapter 11, verse one, it says, has God cast away his people? Certainly not, certainly not. But in his wisdom, he put Israel and allowed the blindness to be there. He allowed the hardness of their heart to be there. Why? So that you and I could be grafted in to the tree itself. And by the way, it says, you Christians, you better not boast against the Jewish people. You're not the trunk. You've just been grafted into the real deal. And now you're heirs along with a remnant that God is going to deal with. So then we're told the fullness of the Gentiles is a reference to the rapture of the church. In other words, there's a set number of people. God knows the number. And when that number comes up, We're out of here. And you know what I'm going to say next. If you're holding us all up, get your act together and get saved. I want to go home. Amen and that? Quit dragging your feet, whoever you are. So the set number, but then notice what happens. After the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, what does it say? And so all Israel will be saved The deliverer will come out of Zion and he will turn away in godliness from Jacob. This is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. 
Well, how's that gonna happen? There's only one way sins can be forgiven. So we find here that the clock begins to tick. God owes Israel what? Seven years. Oh, it must be just a coincidence that the tribulation is a seven-year period of time. What's going on? Moses and Elijah and 144,000 Jews from the 12 different tribes are going to be evangelizing like the world has never seen before. And so all Israel will be saved. What happens during this time is a terrible period of time that is going to take place. You don't want anybody to go through it. But it will be a breaking process. And eventually, um, they will call out upon the Lord and the Lord will return and that will fulfill. Now I'll go back to the book of Daniel and then we'll read that the gap. There's a gap between where we left off of verse 26 and 27. It says, the end will come with war and desolations are determined. And then in verse 27, so between Daniel 9, verse 26 and 27, there's a gap. And the gap, it says, then he, the he is a reference, if you go back to 26, and the people of the prince who is to come. These are Romans. The prince who is to come is the Antichrist. And that's why we say he has to come out of the um, Roman Empire. Uh, So the he here is a reference to the Antichrist will confirm a covenant with many for how long? One week. Now we have the 490, but there's a gap where the church age is filled in. Now remember, you're a Corinthian. A lot of this stuff is old news to you and you're well-grounded and familiar with it. Not if you're a Corinthian. This is blowing their minds that he's going to lay all this stuff out eventually. But in the middle, he'll confirm a covenant with many for one week. We will not know who this person is. We are gone. The fullness of Gentiles has come in. If the clock is going to start to tick with Israel again, the promises back at verse 24 were given for who? To your people and the holy city. The church cannot be in the tribulation any part of that seven-year period of time. Why? Because Daniel says so. Is that a good enough answer? It is given to Israel and to the city of Jerusalem. We are not in that, that picture. Fullness has come in, all right? Clock begins to tick. For how long? Seven years. Now, in the middle of that seven-year period of time, he will bring an end to the sacrifice and offerings. Huh, in order to have sacrifice and offerings, you have to have a temple. Do you know that they're talking about it now? You know that all the implements for the temple are already there and it's already prefabricated. They can put it together in a couple months. It's all there. We even know where the Ark of the Covenant is. Visit the Temple Mount Institute sometime. They finally came out and confessed it. I've known it for years because of a rabbi named Rabbi Getz who wrote about it openly. And um, I am good friends with Rabbi Richmond. I call him by his first name, Jaime. I went into the institute looking for him and he says, he doesn't come here. He travels the world, he's so famous now. And I I mentioned, I said, is Jaime here? She says, you call Rabbi Richmond Jaime? (laughs) I said, he's my friend. 
And um, they finally, at the end of the tour, show you the Ark of the Covenant, and the last thing they do is show a video, and they leave you with these words, and we know where it is. There's a great exodus right now of Jews leaving the Ukraine and worldwide. Where are they headed back to? Israel. What do you think would happen if they pulled out the Ark of the Covenant? With all the stuff that's going on right now. Well, you'd see an exodus back to Israel like you've never seen before. And so what happens in the middle of the week, um, on the wings of abomination shall be one who makes desolate, even the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. We call it the abomination of desolation. Jesus spoke about it in Matthew 24. He says to the Jews, he says, when you see it, then run, hide. Pray that you're not pregnant because it's harder to travel when you're pregnant. Pray that it's not winter. Um, Do you know, I just saw pictures of snow in Jerusalem and all of Israel had a snowstorm. That's that's big news because it very, very seldom happens. Just this last week. And um, so what happens is um, this is the Antichrist. Even though he had made a covenant with them, he now breaks it doesn't allow the sacrifices to take place. In order to have sacrifices, you have to have the temple. Only he is gonna be worshiped. And so the one world religion, he destroys the city of Rome, which I believe where the headquarters of the one world religion is going to be. And my own personal conviction, the Pope is a major globalist right now, and I, th- I think he's prime material for the Paul's prophet. I could be wrong, but I don't think so. I think it's that late. That's my speculation. Let me make that clear. So now, the clock is very close. If you see, um, we have some of our clocks back here set one minute to midnight, and I think we need to move it a little bit closer <laughs> with all that's taking place. All right, at this time, um, I'm gonna try to close this thing up Um, by showing you a video and then I'm going to read something what's taking place in the world right now. I mentioned earlier that I think we're on the verge of Ezekiel 38 and 39 happening. Um, Tom Hughes um, is a Calvary Chapel pastor. This video clip is five minutes long. Uh, He um, is part of a program on his channel called World News Briefing. Uh, He's seen all over the world and a lot of you are familiar with him. Then I'm going to read one page of five of what's happening right now with Russia and China. So at this time, if we could play this. Hey everyone, welcome to our midweek prophecy update. Listen, uh, this is gonna be short, it's gonna be to the point, and this is a must see. Wait until you see the truth of what is really happening, and uh, it's gonna be shocking. Okay, here's, we need to see what's really happening. I want you to think of this. Right now, we have the threat of Russia, Ukraine, and the U.S. We have the threat of Russia, China, and the U.S. We have the threat of Russia, Syria, Israel, and the U.S. 
We're watching what's going on over over Syria as uh, Russia's in there and uh, saying we're going to not allow, or it appears they're not going to allow any type of Israel uh, work to be military work being done in the area of Syria. We're watching what's happening with Russia and, and their involvement with China. Then we watch what's happening with China and Taiwan. And the U.S. is involved in all of this while we have Biden as the president of the United States. This is disturbing. Then we have the Ukraine-Russia situation, and it's not looking good. Now, I'm going to show you something, and this is going to be a, a real eye-opener for everybody. I want you to think of this. I'm going to show you three different short video clips. They are all ads. Okay, you ready for the first one? This first one is a recruitment ad for the Russia military. Okay, you ready for this? Watch this, and then I'm gonna show you two others, and you've gotta see what in the world is really going on, where all of this is going. Friends, this is scary. Watch this, this is the Russia recruitment ad. Let's roll this. Okay, you saw that one, right? I said that we have three of them. Okay, here's this one. Now we have the China recruitment ad. And uh, so we went from Russia. I want you to see China. Ready? Let's roll the China video. Watch this. Okay, now we're on to the final one. And this is going to be exceptionally disturbing. You saw Russia, you saw China. Now, you ready for this one? Watch this. The U.S. military recruitment ad. And this is going to put a pit in the middle of your gut. Watch this. It begins in California with a little girl raised by two moms. I also marched for equality. I like to think I've been defending freedom from an early age. Standing at the altar to marry my other mom. With such powerful role models, I finished high school at the top of my class. I found it. A way to prove my inner strength and maybe shatter some stereotypes along the way. I'm U.S. Army Corporal Emma Malone Lord, and I answered my calling. You saw them. I, I mean, words can't express what you just witnessed. It's disturbing. This is alarming. This is frightening. I'm telling you something. We are looking at a purposeful destruction of the United States of America. Satan knows he has to bind the strong man. The strong man, the global power in this world, keeping back globalism has been America. America is being destroyed from the inside. And, and it's not looking good. You saw that. Listen, like the prophet Jeremiah was in the ancient time of Judah, our hope is to repent. Our only hope is to repent. We need Jesus. I personally don't have any hope for America nationally, but there's hope for individuals in America. We need Jesus Christ. I cannot, uh, I cannot get this message across enough. Ladies and gentlemen, listen. 
If you don't know Christ, ask him to forgive you of your sins. Repent, surrender to him, give your life to Christ because everything is going the way that the Bible told us it would go. We need Christ. He's our only hope. God bless you guys. What I'm holding up here is news bites from Wednesday night. It's five pages long. We printed up a bunch of them. I'm just going to read enough to get your interest of what Tom was just talking about here. It is uh, written by, so let's see, this Soren Kern, uh, January 21st, 2022. Again, the full article you can get, and I'm just going to piggyback here on Tom what he just said. <clears throat> it's called the Russian-China Axis, uh, Part 1. As Russia continues its troop buildup along the border with Ukraine, China has markedly increased its military activity near Taiwan. The twin geographical flashpoints separated by 5,000 miles are raising concerns that Russia and China could coordinate or conduct concurrent military offenses that the United States and its allies may have difficulty to stop. A failure to deter Russia and China Deterrence, especially military, pre-posting uh, uh, era under the threat, or at least the costly way to avoid war, would deal a potentially crushing blow to the post-World War II liberal international order. That system, whose principle and norms, including adherence to the rule of law, respect for human rights, and the promotion of liberal democracy, as well as preserving the sanctity of territorial sovereignty and existing borders, has regulated the conduct of international relations for the last 80 years. Analysts warn that the crisis in Ukraine, which China presumably is watching closely, may present a turning point in world politics. An invasion of Ukraine would open the door for Russia to extend military technicals, tentacles to countries in the Baltic and Eastern Europe. It could also embolden China to invade Taiwan, which would allow Beijing to set its sights on economic powerhouses like Japan and South Korea, as well as other regional allies of the U.S. Observers worry that Russia and China, so-called revisionists, authoritarian powers seeking to establish a post-Western global order and replace it with a technocracy over democracy uh, type government, may leverage control over Ukraine and Taiwan to carve out uh, exclusive spheres of influence in their respective parts of the globe if they succeed in dividing the world into zones of exclusive control, Russia and China would um, effectively collapse the Western global order and restore the unstable international system of great power rally that existed before and ended with the two world wars of the 20th century. Last paragraph. Analysts are divided over the question of whether Russia and China ultimately will use military force to achieve their territorial ambitions. But nearly all agree that if they do, 
It will be because Moscow and Beijing feel emboldened by their perception that the West, led by the United States and Europe, is weaker and more divided than any other point in recent memory. And uh, the last clip did put a pit in my stomach when I see the commercials for Russia recruitment, China's recruitment, and what you just saw on the screen on our recruitment. This is five pages long, and um, I read that much just to get you interested. You can pick one up on your way out. All right, in a couple minutes, we're going to turn to, no, we're going to turn to Ezekiel 38, and I'm only going to spend a couple minutes on it. Ezekiel 38. What we have in Ezekiel 38, I'll read uh, uh, the first three verses and then comment on the rest of it. We are living between chapter 37 and 38. 36 and 37 of Ezekiel is all about the regathering of the people back into the land. That has happened. Everything here on out is in a chronological order. So once Israel is back in the land, then it talks about what we call the Ezekiel 38-39 war. It says, now the word of the Lord came to me saying, son of man, set your face against Gog in the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach and Tubal, and prophesy against them and says, thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against you, O Gog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach and Tubal. What we have listed here, and this is a word study that you can do on your own, is a reference to Russia. And the Lord is basically saying to them, I'm against you. And then it goes on to say, I'm gonna put a hook into your jaw and lead you out with your armies and horses and, and uh, who's gonna go with you and be a part of this war where the first one mentioned is Persia. That's what Iran was called 100 years ago. We're talking about modern day Persia. And then Ethiopia and Libya, Gomer to Garma is Turkey. This cannot be the battle of Armageddon and I'll explain why in just a minute. This is a battle that will take place after many days, verse eight, you will be visited in the latter years. My friends, this is what I see happening, what I think is gonna happen next. I believe the hook in the jaw and the, the troops that are gathering right now is going to explode into something much larger than just Ukraine and Taiwan. And I actually believe it's gonna be part of a hook. Do you know that he mentioned it but he didn't get into a lot of detail. Um, Assad, the king in Syria, is responsible for bringing Russia into Syria. They have their own port there and they have boots on the ground there. And what would happen if um, the Syrians or the Iranians just lobbed a little missile over the Golan Heights. Well, the prophecy that has not yet been fulfilled is the destruction of Damascus. That's where Assad is. Now, let's say that prophecy gets fulfilled very shortly. What kind of place does that put Russia in when the only reason they're there is because of invitation from Assad? They're there to protect him. What kind of response would um, the rest of Syria want from Russia? All of a sudden we have a hook pulling them back down 
You said you were going to protect us. They just wiped out Damascus. Okay? Now, what's, um, as these things begin to unfold, um, China last year, you'll see where I'm going with this in just a bit. Um, this year, on February 4th, just a couple of days from now, is going to start the Olympics. Is everybody aware of that? Okay. Uh, four years ago, I want to tell you an interesting thing that happened. The Olympics were hosted in Tokyo um, four years ago. On the day, the opening day of the Olympics in Tokyo, Russia invaded Georgia. Just let that sit in. The very day that it started, right now all the troops are gathered there, they're on the border in Belarus, Ukraine, Crimea. They're all there, and there's this pact that's going on, and uh, nothing's happening. It's just as interesting to me that the day that the Olympics started four years ago, that was the day that they decided to go in. And um, interesting. This, this February 4th, I think, is going to be an interesting day. In the meantime, let's go back and read our last verse. And we'll close with this this morning. Yes, I know, I said it three times. We read in verse 18, the closing verse, but we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. We're being sanctified through the process of sanctification. These were baby Christians, and Paul is telling them that you're being reformed into the same image from glory to glory. Yes, you're baby Christians right now, but God's gonna work in you and through you, and you're gonna be conformed into his image if you hang in there, don't give up, just as the Spirit of the Lord is doing. We've already been justified. Now we're going and being sanctified. Um, We're taken from the milk of the word to the meat of the word, being conformed into his own image. Good place to say amen and close it up. Let's stand and we'll pray. Lord, you told us that we are to watch and to pray. And Lord, as we're watching the world today, we see that the scene is set and you told us that that day should not overtake us unexpectedly because we're children of the day, not of the night. And so Lord, as we look at current events and if we see that this war could break out and you once again keep your promise to Israel then how late is it? As your word tells us, uh, when we see these things begin to come to pass. And a simple question is that we have to answer in our own heart is do we see these things unfolding? I certainly do. And as a result, as we see these things unfolding, you told us to look up because our redemption is drawing nigh. We thank you for your word this morning. Jesus name I pray. Amen.